0: Hi, this is Erica Bogan. Thank you for listening to the I Am Spartan podcast with Scott Knowles.
1: I am Scott, the Fane Knowles, and you're listening to another episode of I'm a Spartan OCR Podcast. What's up, everybody? I know it's been a minute. Went on vacation, had work stuff, family stuff, some scheduling conflicts, and it's just been busy. But I guarantee you it was worth it for this interview right here because this was a great interview. I think it's one of my favorites. Um, but I want to thank everybody that reached out to me. I expressed a little medical condition or problem or whatever you want to call it that i went through um uh, a few weeks ago i went to the doctor and had some uh stuff checked out and uh i'll i'll give you some of the results at the end of this interview if you're interested in hearing about my problems but uh this was an awesome interview with uh eric bogan you've probably seen her on course with more hearts and scars she was paralyzed when she was uh 21 in a car accident and um she tells us her story about, you know, not only the struggles with being in a wheelchair and, you know, her life changing when she was 21, but also having, like, PTSD and having, like, she had a mental breakdown and she had, like, she needed help with her mindset on having how to handle this. And she tells us how she worked through that and... Now she is a certified life coach and a mindset coach, and I just think that, man, this was awesome. This story was awesome, and it's powerful, and I hope everybody listens to it, because I just think that Erica had an awesome story to tell, and this, this was absolutely one of my favorite interviews. And also, she also had some awesome news where she was telling us where in a few, well, I think she said it was like maybe a couple of months, they're going to uh, Mount Kilimanjaro to summit it, and she's doing this with a group of people to bring awareness to suicide in the dis- in the disabled community because, unfortunately, there's there's not enough. And uh, she tells us all about that, too. If you've ever listened to one of my episodes, this is one of the episodes to listen to. Here's the interview with Erica Bogan. Erica Bogan, how are you doing today?
0: I'm wonderful. How are you?
1: I'm doing very well. So, Erica, I know a little bit about you. This will be the first time we've really spoken. But I know that you are an adaptive athlete that has been crushing the OCR scene. And you, you're usually with more hearts and scars Yes. And and y'all just did the Barbarian Challenge a couple of weeks ago, and you did Indian Mud Run this past weekend, right?
0: I did not do Indian Mud Run. Um, another one of my teammates, Best Shriver, did that one. Um, I actually had a business trip in Chicago last weekend, so I missed out on Indian Mud Run. That's actually one that's oh. on my bucket list to conquer, though.
1: Oh, well, <laughs> I, I guess I saw your name tagged in Joey's post, and I assumed yeah. you were there.
0: So I am actually currently um, the main athlete for um, More Hearts and Stars, and, and I have been for three years now, um, and all that really means is that I'm the only one, and so far that's been crazy enough to stick around for multiple race seasons. Um, that's awesome. More Hearts and Stars is, uh, yeah, it's it's been life-changing to be a part of the organization. I'm also a part of... Um, the 501c3 part of More Hearts and Scars, not just an adaptive athlete that does the races. So I'm also one of the board members.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I, and yeah. see, that I thought it was kind of just like a Facebook group. I didn't even know they had a board. So that's interesting to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we are actually, uh, More Hearts and Scars is a 501c3 organization, nonprofit organization, and um, that is. Um, oh, it, it, it goes even beyond OCR. So it's all about, um, you know, giving people a safe space and a community to be a part of where they're going to be wholly accepted just as they are, no matter what their scars are. And um, so a lot of times when people see us out on course, um, you know, they see me or one of my teammates who's an adaptive athlete in a wheelchair. And so our, our scars are very visible. Um, But what they don't see is our biggest scars, which are the war that's going on constantly in our brains. Right. Um, And so it's all centered around uh, mental health and wellness um, and being able to get people to go out and push past their scars and um, reach their goals and accomplishments.
1: Right. So I think it was in 2016 I actually... I did. I I did a sprint in Atlanta or Conyers with More Hearts and Scars, and I think we had a couple of. Uh, I think they were just amputees, where they still they had the crutches, and yeah. and one of them was my buddy's friend's son, and this was pretty much like he was just able to put a blade on, and I want to say he was maybe sixteen. Or seventeen at the time because he had an amp, he was amputee from a, a car accident, and yeah. uh, you know I want to say, you know he he was struggling because you know it was he was getting used to a uh, you know wearing the blade and it was rubbing him pretty hard, mm-hmm. and um but now you know what is it five years five years later four or five years later he uh, just uh, got second. Um, uh, or you got a silver medal in the Paralympics for uh, snowboarding, or the winter game. Oh,
0: that's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing.
1: So, it, so it, you it,
0: can see where more hearts and scars kind of fits into the world of disability. Right. And especially for people who have acquired disability. Um, a lot of times when we get new adaptive athletes that come on board, it starts out that they kind of just signed up for something that was outside of their normal and to push themselves out of their comfort zones. Or maybe it is they've seen me or one of the other athletes from the past um, doing it. They're like, hey, if she can do it, I can do it. Um, But a lot of times it is the starting place. It's like the stepping stone to them – Part of the acceptance of of their disability, especially if it was acquired, and going, okay, this is the first step that I just took, that now I can see that I can still do things that I desire to do that might look like outside of the box. All the things that um, everybody's told me I won't be able to do again, it can happen as long as I have the right team around me helping me do it.
1: Right. So it kind of
0: is a starting place that gives us our wings. And and, um, I know for me, it it really helps me... um, definitely more so on the mental health side it helped me see that there were people that were going to love me even if i was a little bit crazy um and they were going to accept me and that they were also going to be the key people that were going to help me overcome my fears out on the race course
1: yeah and, and i i could imagine like you know just your 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 mental toughness after doing say like a race like this <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. your, your normal, like, the, the day-to-day routines and struggles that, you know, you may have become simpler, you know what I mean? So.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. We know if we can overcome some of the stuff that we see on an OCR course... Um, like specifically since I just did the barbarian. So, um, I was, and I didn't know this until the day that I did the barbarian, but I was the first wheelchair adaptive athlete to ever even attempt to do it. Wow. Um, and it, and it's because that course is not wheelchair friendly at all. And <laughs> um, actually there's parts of it that were extremely dangerous for me to even be in the chair. Right. Um, I had to be carried um, by four different guys, they were just passing me back and forth, you know, to relieve their arms and my arms, and um, from holding on to them for almost three miles of that course, I had to be carried. And I was carried in every way that a, a person can possibly be carried. <laughs> um, even a fireman's carry at one point when One of uh, my teammates had me over his shoulder upside down carrying me um, because it was the only way we could do it at that point. We were all so exhausted (laughs) physically. Um, But it's funny because after I did the barbarian, then I had something here in my my regular personal life that happened that normally before I did the barbarian challenge, I probably would have freaked out and cried and been stressed out about it and like, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to figure it out? But I remembered what I had just went through the weekend before and was like, you know what? I've got it. It's in the bag. I can get this. And so it absolutely, I know for, for me personally, it helps me be able to overcome the obstacles, metaphorically speaking that happen in life every day because of my disability.
1: Yeah. And see that, and it's almost, you would think that this is, you know, a, a great thing for somebody that's like, you know, an adaptive, uh, athlete, just just for what you said, just right there, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, just, I know that there's nothing in life that I can't conquer, and I didn't know that until I started doing OCRs. And you awesome. know, it's funny, thought because for a long time, actually my whole first probably almost two years of doing OCR, I was an OCR snob meaning I wouldn't oh. do anything but Spartans. And the funny the, the funny thing about that is and, and I recognize it now, it's because it became a comfort zone. So once I learned all of the Spartan obstacles and I started crushing them and getting to a place where I didn't even need a harness or a rope holding me anymore. I could overcome and climb the obstacles independently with just my teammates being around me for safety. Right. Um, once I got to that place it became a comfort zone. And I refused for a little while to step outside of that. And um, I had, you know, Joey McGlamoury, bless his heart. Joey is a saint.
1: He is, he is, is, he is awesome.
0: He, he is going down. Uh, He's he going to be up there with St. Jude, St. Michael, St. John, all, all of the great saints. Um, there's going to be St. Sir Joey McGlamoury. Um, you know, he, he kept encouraging me. And, and I think more than anything, he believed in me. And um, not just him, the entire team, but I I specifically mentioned Joey because Joey has been the only person that has been with me every single race. Um, And actually, Joey is the main person that's going to be by my side. Um, And 73 days from today, um, we fly out to Tanzania so that he and some other people from our team can help me climb Mount Kilimanjaro.
1: You know, I saw that in some of your posts, and that's got to be, like, super exciting for y'all.
0: It is. It is. You know, for me, and I, I, I to go down this rabbit hole for a second, um, kind of a little tangent, but I um, think it's important to mention that I'm not climbing Mount Kilimanjaro um, because I want to climb the world's tallest freestanding mountain. Um, I actually have zero—I'm not a mountain climber. I have zero desire to climb— a mountain, um, and actually probably will never climb another large mountain in the world after this. Um, I'm, I'm doing it with a purpose. I'm doing it, um, to, to raise awareness about suicide and and mental health wellness and the lack of resources specifically for the disabled community. Um, you know, mental health is a huge thing right now and it has been for some years and I'm excited that, um, it's definitely getting more awareness. Um, and that, starting to see specific communities that are really struggling and, um, the disabled community is one of them. And um, there's not a lot of resources, um, that are, um, specific to persons with a disability. Right. And, um, so a lot of times when somebody like myself is on the ledge, ready to jump off and, and in a suicidal state, they can call any of the thousands of hotlines that, you know, our country has right now that are, specifically for suicide and have somebody on the other line that's trained to talk them down off the ledge. Um, But the problem is for somebody with a disability, it's a whole other ballgame. And so when you get an able-bodied person on the other line, and the reason that you're suicidal is because of all of the things that come along with living life with a disability.
1: It's harder for them to Yeah. It doesn't
0: really help because you know that that person doesn't truly understand your life and where you're at. And, you know, maybe it's because of chronic pain and, um, you know, waking up every day and fighting your body and, and literally fighting just to get out of bed because you're in so much pain that you just want to stay asleep or not wake up at all. Hmm. And, um, so that is where my heart is and that's where my passion is. And everything about me is all about mental health wellness and, 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 Again, specifically in the disabled community. Now, I will tell you, so I'm, I'm a mental health coach. That's what I do for a living, my 9-to-5 job. Right. Um, and currently, um, i have probably about 50-50 of my client base. I, I also coach able-bodied people um, because I also am um, um, very well knowledgeable when it comes to the invisible scars, so the mental health side of it, specifically PTSD, um, complex PTSD. And, um, but I can tell you that my clients that have disabilities, um, it's, it's a whole nother ball game when I'm coaching them. And, um, the difference is they know that I fully get it. I understand it. Right. I understand every single thing they're going through and, um, it helps, you know, me not only build rapport, but give them a safe space to cry or even bitch about, you know, this life. So a lot of times we have a lot of pressure on us as people with disabilities, specifically if we're really out there in the media and open about, vulnerable about um, our our life Um, because we get people telling us every day, all the time, how we're their inspiration and we're their hero. And while that is a very positive thing because we definitely need to hear that on some days, um, when we're struggling with ourselves and our own battle in our head, we are more apt not to reach out to somebody for fear of knowing that we are their inspiration and that we're going to let them down if we tell them we're struggling.
1: You know, I never thought about that.
0: Yeah. It's a whole big dynamic that most people don't think about. And I am um, actually have been being filmed for almost the last two years now um, about my, my Kilimanjaro climb. And... Um, Metaphorically speaking, uh, the mountain is the met, the mountain actually itself is a metaphor, and um, so it, it's really the biggest battle for me is getting there, and I say that because so logistically I can buy plane tickets, I can you know get my visa, I can prepare um, physically to go climb this mountain, but the biggest challenge is the mental part of it and overcoming that mountain and conquering it. Right. Um. So anyway. And um, I, yeah, that's kind of how I fell in love with More Hearts and Scars and how I became a part of this. Um, initially, um, when I came into OCR, it was just by chance. Um, actually, one of my mentees, one of the people that I mentored after she was injured um, with a spinal cord injury, she had been doing, um, she actually had her, got her trifecta um, I believe in 2018 with more hearts and scars. And I remember her posting posts of, of her Spartan races and, and like, wow, that's so awesome. And just being so proud of her for going out there and doing what she loved and conquering all of her, um, invisible scars out on course. Um, but she just happened to one day reach out to me and was like, Hey, you know, those races that I do and I like, yeah, those med races. And she's like, yeah, she's like, how would you like to do one? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not?
1: Awesome.
0: <laughs> Famous last words.
1: Um, <laughs> now you're addicted. I,
0: yeah, I, I truly did not know what I was signing up for. I mean, I'd seen videos from people doing tough mutters and I kind of knew what it was, but I didn't really know what it was. Um, I thought, oh, like you go out for a 5K and you play in the mud and do some little obstacles and you're done. Um <laughs> I never ever um, realized how mentally challenging it would be um, because there's a whole bunch of things that come along with doing it with a disability, and I'll get into that in a minute. Um, but I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And she's like, all right, call this guy named Zach Now Zach Pabin, um, and Wendy Pavin, um well, actually Wendy's last name is not Pavin anymore, but I can't think off the top of my head what her new last name is because she is remarried, but they are still um, uh, amazing partners when it comes to being the co-founders of more hearts and scars. Um, I had no idea. So she just says, call this guy named Zach. And I'm like, okay. So I give Zach a call and, um, he's like, Hey, you know, how, how quick can you come up to, to, um, Asheville, which is where our headquarters is. And I'm like, well, I can be up there in a couple of days. He's like, All right, you know, come on, we're going to go up. I'm going to get you in the chair. We're going to do a little run through the woods and, maybe go down by the river and, um, <laughs> give you a little taste of, of, you know, see how it works out, how you feel in the chair. I'm like, okay, great. So I drive up to Asheville, which is, um, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. So it's about an hour and 45 minutes. I go up and I, I meet Zach and, Here's this big, burly, Viking looking dude. Um, he, it, I found out very quickly, is a, is a huge teddy bear. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I fell in love with him. I mean, from the first moment that I, I gave him a hug, just fell in love with him. Like, okay, he's supposed to be in my tribe, he's supposed to be in my life. And um, he did. He put me in um, Excalibur, which is the chair that I use to do uh, my races. Um, it actually happens to be the same chair that Joe DeSino himself sat in when he decided to open up, um, his, his races, the Spartan races to adaptive athletes. Oh, wow. And, um... I get in the chair, and Zach takes me down this little paved path in this park. And I'm like, oh, wee, you know, this is a lot of fun. And he takes me down this hill into this river. And I remember it was really cold, (laughs) but it it wasn't that big of a deal. We kind of, like, crossed it real quick. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I can do this. It's a little out of the box, but I sign up for anything that's out of the box. So I can do this. This will be a walk in the park. Well, I didn't realize, uh, well, full first, I, we do all of this, and Zach says, I'm like, all right, when's the race? He's like, oh, this weekend. Uh. I'm like, all right, all right, cool. So it was the Charlotte race, and um, I didn't realize that what I had signed up for for my first race was a super. And even if he had told me it was a super, I didn't know what that meant because <laughs> I didn't know anything about Spartan. So I get to the race venue, I've got my videographer with me who, um, had also, he had done one Spartan before, so he was prepared. He knew what it was, and, and now I know why he was laughing at me as I was getting ready and talking about like how this is going to be a blast, it was going to be so easy, and I was just excited. Oh, <laughs> the super turned into eight hours of misery, <laughs> and almost being hypothermic, and um, not being able to go to the bathroom, because I didn't realize... So I have to, this is something that most people don't know about people with spinal cord injuries, but I have to use catheters to be able to go pee.
1: Right.
0: And I never thought it through that they're not going to have porta-potties out along the course. And when they do have porta-potties, more often than not, they're zip-tied because they're for the volunteers, so they have to keep them clean. Right. Um, Had no thought whatsoever that I was going to (laughs) have to sit in the mud and catheterize myself to go pee.
1: I bet that was exciting.
0: Um, Oh, it was terrifying. (laughs) It was terrifying. I'm like, how am I going to do this? And by the time I actually had to pee the first time, I was so covered and caked in mud that I physically couldn't do it myself. And so I had to have a stranger who I had just met that day that was on my team, who now is one of the most important people in my life, catheterized me. So there was a whole other element to that psychologically wow. having to have somebody do that for me and um, that I literally just met out on a race course in the middle of the woods in the mud. <laughs> <laughs> so just that being said, it was very mentally challenging. And by the time I got to the cargo net A frame, which was the last obstacle before we crossed, you know, did the fire jump. I was on top of the A-frame, crying my eyes out, shaking. Mm. I was exhausted physically and mentally. And I was looking at Zach in the eyes and going, I can't do this. I can't do this. And at that point, I was terrified. I didn't know how I was going to get down off the A-frame. And I remember Robert Lide, actually, um, one of... Well, he used to be the main MC for, he just um, recently stepped down as the main MC. Right. He's still a part of Spartan, but Rob actually, he was the um, MC that day, the announcer that day, and he walked up and he's also, I have to say, a knight for More Hearts and Scars. So he's a part of our leadership. Um, but he climbed up to the top of that A frame and helped Zach carry me down because I was so scared. <laughs> um, That's awesome. So there were lots of tears at the finish line. And, um, after I cried it out and got my fit aid and my banana, <laughs> I remember looking at Zach and Joey and going, when's the next one? Wow. Um, because I couldn't believe that I mentally and physically made it through that. And I also knew in that moment that I had found my tribe. Mm. Um, those people now, every single person that did my very first race with me or some of my closest friends and what I like to call my chosen family. Those are the people that I know and I'm not okay. I can call them and they're going to hold space for me. And so I gained not only confidence in myself and my ability and my mental toughness, but I gained a whole family, an extension um, of, uh, of my family. So, uh, yeah, that's my story of how I came to be with more hearts and scars. <laughs> and then the rest has been history. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm now the main athlete and um a part of the board of directors for the 501c3 for part of it. Um and I take some of our newer adaptive athletes that come in, you know, if they have any kind of mental health scars that they need to work through, um, I kind of take them under my wing and I coach them. Um and I, I take them on pro bono because I know what it's like to not only live with a disability and um Uh, be financially strapped and limited um, to not be able to necessarily pay for the. So a lot of times when somebody signs up for coaching or even therapy at that, for that matter, um, they're investing in themselves because it is an extra cost and coaching is not typically covered by insurance, unfortunately. And so it's, it's expensive. And I know that they don't have the financial means to be able to do that. So, I kind of take them under my wing and um, I start coaching them and help them with their mental scars while they battle out the physical scars on the race course with the rest of our team.
1: Mm. Yeah, that is unfortunate about insurance too, you know?
0: It is. It is. Our system is so broken, especially our healthcare system. And, um, you know, there's, I, I talk, been talking about the challenges of living life with a disability, and there's a lot of things that most people, unless, they have been up close and personal with life with a disability, whether it's them themselves or a family member or a close friend, they don't really know the things that we go through that also negatively can impact our mental health. Um, you know, something as simple as being able to get a wheelchair that is custom made for us so that we don't end up with pressure sores that can cause us to go septic and then worst case scenario actually die. Um, or being able to get the right mental health services that we need. Um, A lot of times people, if they can't get the right mental health services or, um, you know, maybe they have to jump through too many hoops because of insurance to do that, they turn to addiction. They turn to substances. Mm. And um, we know that that never ends up up well either. No. Um, So there's there's just a lot of things that go along with being a disability um, or living life with a disability. Um, I can tell you that I would like to believe, and this is my choice of mindset, that life is what you choose to make it. And I can tell you a million and one horror stories and sad stories about (laughs) living life with a disability. But as my friend and teammate One leg Beef says, nobody wants to hear your sad story. (laughs) There's also a lot of very positive things. Um, that you have to be in the right mental space to be able to choose to see the positive. Right. If that makes
1: sense. It does make sense. (laughs) But I, I, you know, I was reading your bio and I, I, I did actually want to hear, you know, if, if you're willing to tell it, you know, um, how you become to, you know, and be in a wheelchair because I thought it was, it was a good story. And you said when you, um, you woke up that you you wanted to you decided to make the best of it, and I I would like to I would like to hear your story if if you don't mind telling
0: Absolutely. it. Absolutely, yes, no, I'd love to share it. Um, so I was injured twenty years ago at the age of twenty one. Um, hey, we're in same a car age. Car accident caused by domestic violence, and um, when when I say a car accident caused by domestic violence, you know, the Reader Digest version because I don't like to get so much into how it happened right? Um, as opposed to, I think the important part of my story is what I've done after and the choices that I have been trying to intentionally and consciously make um, around my life. Um, but the reader digest version, I, I um, was in a um, not very good relationship, a very toxic relationship. And we definitely, I think we're both toxic. Um, and, um, but my, my ex-boyfriend, um, he had a horrible temper And, um, basically was driving the vehicle out of anger. So he was doing 75 and a 35 and, um, we were arguing back and forth and he went to hit me and lost control of the vehicle and overcorrected and the Mm. car flipped six times and I was ejected from the car. Um, they, they estimated about 75 feet and my body hit a tree, which is what broke my back and caused mm. me to have a spinal cord injury. So, um, I have what is called an incomplete spinal cord injury, which basically means that my spinal cord was not completely severed. But initially, I could not move or feel anything from the belly button down. Um, I also had a traumatic brain injury
1: oh, no. and
0: was in a coma for about two and a half months.
1: Wow. Um,
0: my family didn't know. They were initially told that it would be a miracle if I made it past 48 hours. And at that point, I was on total life support. I had been life flighted um, to the hospital, to the nearest trauma center um, here in Charlotte. And um, I, they had to defibrillate me. I think twice. They lost me twice in the helicopter on the way to the um, on the way to the hospital. So. My injuries were so significant, specifically my brain injury was so significant that they weren't really sure initially until they were able to get me in to do brain scans what my outcome was going to be. Um, Obviously, I lived past that 48 hours, and um, when I came out of a coma, um, I had, cognitively, I had my long-term memory. Um, I did not have short-term memory almost whatsoever. Um, I was kind of like um, being around the girl on 51st Dates, the movie with Adam Sandler, (laughs) where I would repeat myself, and um, I wouldn't remember from day to day what I did the day before Mm. um, necessarily, and so um, there was a lot of cognitive um, therapy that that went along with um, my physical therapy, um... I can tell you that once I, um, they took me off of all of the like the respirator, and they took my tracheotomy out, and I had my my voice and a little bit more freedom from wires and uh, monitors. Um, I was not a very nice patient (laughs) and the hospital was really ready to get me out of there Mm. um I fought them tooth and nail but a lot of that was I was I was not angry at them I was angry at life right Um, I was angry at God I was um yeah (laughs) I was not in a good place it was a very hard thing for me to accept when the doctor said you will never walk again Um, and initially I didn't want to accept that. Um, we can fast forward a little bit. It was probably about four or five years after, um, I was injured that I started to see that like, I was going to be the only person that could, um, literally create my own reality. And, um, it didn't hope to happen overnight, um, I actually never even got into therapy until about four years ago. Wow. So I went many, many years um, putting a mask on, so to speak, and um, I, I held the title of Miss Chair America in 2010, and I um, was a recognized disability advocate, but my life here at home was, it was very black and white, So I learned to put a mask on when I was in the media and when I was doing things in my advocacy work, which I I have to mention, my advocacy work and giving back to other people who got injured after me or who were already in the disabled community, that is what gained me my wings and that is what started to get me to change my life, was being able to help other people um, through...
1: So when you say you were, you had to put on a mask to kind of, so yeah. are you saying like you were kind of, you were still kind of like in a depressed or angry state oh, yes. at home, I was but you were, most, you were acting yeah. like you were good with it in the public oh, yes. light?
0: Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. You just hit the hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what I was doing. And that's what I mean by that. Um, I, um, you know people i i i it was a lot of it was um the fact that I hadn't had therapy um and never had been able to really deal with what had happened and and come into full acceptance that this was my life um and so I saw very early on the dynamic that I was talking about early in our conversation about how people would tell me. You're such an inspiration. Like every day that I wake up that I don't want to get out of bed, I think about you and all of the things you're doing in the disabled community and in and, and your community in general. And I know I don't have any excuses. And and while I needed to hear those things That put me in a place where I felt like I couldn't let those people down. And so publicly, I had to put that mask on and act like everything was great. Right. Um, But everything was not great. And um, my home life was totally different. And um, I went through a series of, of horrible, toxic relationships. Mm. Um, it was like a pattern that I kept repeating for many, many years. Do
1: you Um, like the bad boys? Is that, is that the problem? I, yeah, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. My
0: dad used to say all of this time, stop dating thugs, stop dating thugs. (laughs) (laughs) Like you keep having, when you keep dating the same type of people, you're going to have the same outcome and that's insanity. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't see that. I couldn't see that that was what I was attracting and that was, I was attracted to. And I, wholeheartedly believe that the reason I was attracting that was because that was the energy I was emitting, because I was not healthy mm. mentally. And, um, you know, I, uh, I, I more often than not when life would hit me, um, I was suicidal. And, um, so I dealt with suicidal ideation for many years, actually, up until I started therapy, um, where it, I would literally fantasize about ending my life and the only thing that kept me from doing that was my children and knowing that I couldn't transfer my pain onto them. Um, but I lived a very unhealthy life for many years. Um, so when I finally had what I now call my spiritual awakening, which really is just a, a way of me sugarcoating that I had a total mental breakdown, um, at the end of 2018, and um that was when um i think i finally hit rock bottom and knew that i could no longer keep going on with life the way that i was and living literally i was living a double life and um i remember in that moment calling my mom i was driving actually when it when it all happened and when it hit me what was happening I was driving down the road, um, and I was coming up on a bridge, and my brain was saying, drive off the bridge. Mm. But I knew that I couldn't do that, and so I pulled the car over. I put it in park. I called my mom, and I was just crying, and I'm like, Mom, I don't want to die, but I am not okay, and I need you. And my mom knew just by talking to me that I wasn't myself. And um, I got I got back to my house, and my mom came and stayed with me, and got a, She was the one that was proactive and got on the phone and started calling my doctors and going, "Something's wrong. This, you know, this isn't her normal depression. And um, I need help." And I remember even begging them to um, admit me into a hospital. And, um, I, I knew that I wasn't okay, but I knew I wanted to live right. and, um, they got me with the right counselor and, um, they got me on the right medicine, um, because I did need an antidepressant to be able to help me. Um, which I think, um, is something that's not talked about enough and it's something that nobody should be ashamed of. Um, you know, I, I look at that along with therapy as a tool to be able to, overcome that, that war that I keep talking about inside of your head. And I don't think that anybody should ever have shame if they have to, um, take medicine to help with whatever mental illness or whatever battle they have. Um, but when I, once I got into therapy, I actually got a formal diagnosis of complex PTSD and, um, that was a game changer for me. Um, once I was able to like go, okay, I'm not crazy. um, I am operating off of a brain that is very chemically imbalanced and that has lived through trauma that has never been dealt with. And um from that point on, I actually um, my therapist started doing what's called EMDR therapy with me, um which I believe started with combat veterans. Right. Um, when they first started learning about PTSD in combat or after combat, um the EMDR therapy is literally what changed my life. Um, I stopped having nightmares. I stopped um, I stopped fantasizing about killing myself. And I started facing my fears and all of my trauma head on. And I have been working really hard ever since then. Um, when that happened is when I finally went back to school and started getting my certifications. Um, to, to learn how to coach people who also lived with PTSD um, and also live with depression and anxiety and all of the things that come with mental illness. Um, and, yeah, I'm still on that path. Actually, after Africa, starting in spring semester of next year, so spring 2023, I'm looking into going back to school and finishing my psychology degree so I can become a licensed mental health counselor. Um, to hopefully be able to help even more people. Um,
1: That's but what's awesome.
0: cool about coaching is, uh, I'm able to share my life experience and I'm able to kind of put my hand out to my clients and, and hold their hand and go, it's okay. I understand. I've been there. And, um, Clinic counseling will be a little bit different. I won't be able to share my life experience, but I'll be able to share the knowledge that I've learned through my own experience, if that makes sense. Right. Along with, obviously, um, the education that I get. So, um, yeah, that's where I am now in present day. That's my story.
1: So, So what – so, what put you on this path? When I mean, what made you decide that you know that this was it? Like, kind of like this helped me a lot, and I want to help others that are going through the same thing. Is that kind of what happened?
0: Yeah. So, I've kind of, I've kind of always been on that path. So, um, it started with my advocacy work in the dis- disability community. Um, I started to see really early on when I started putting myself out there, and this is before I started therapy and all this. This is years ago. Um, I started to learn that for me, um, what was healing for me personally is to share what I've been through. Um, I am a firm believer that um, our vulnerabilities are our superpower. And um, the more that we're able to be vulnerable and to be able to share what we've been through with other people openly, um, the more that our story can become somebody else's survival guide. Because there are other people out there that are going through exactly what you're facing right now and that you're in the midst of overcoming. And um, let's face it, all of us have already survived 110% of what we one time thought was going to take us out, right? Right. And so why not share our journeys and why not be open and connecting with other people who are going through what we've already made it out of? And I learned that that was kind of um for a long time, I think why I never really did reach out to get therapy was because that was what filled my cup back up. and like I said initially, it was seeing in the disabled community how I can make a difference with people who were newly injured by sharing how I overcame physical obstacles like inaccessibility and learning the learning how to work the insurance and get the things that we need for. Our, our regular physical well-being, um, I saw really, really quickly when I started helping other people and giving them hope that it helped me, I guess, find purpose in this, which is what helps me heal. Right. Um, With finding purpose. You know, I truly believe, and now I'm going to remind you, I'm 20 years post-injury now, so it's been a long, strange trip, but I can look back over the last 20 years and see that what happened to me was a part of my greater purpose, right? It wasn't meant to take me out. Um, I, I truly truly believe that I wouldn't still be here if I didn't have a purpose here on earth. And, um, I know that my life is full of purpose and that purpose I do believe is helping others. Hmm. And so as I've learned in my own journey, that's what I've done all along. So when I had my mental breakdown, I realized like, Oh my gosh, how many other people are out there right now literally fighting these battles alone because I know I was doing that now that's not to say that I didn't have a support system my family is amazing I don't know what I would have done all of these years without my family without my mom without my dad without my stepmom um without my stepdad um my family was amazing but um I don't think that I would have reached out to them because I didn't want to be a burden. Hmm. It, it took me hitting rock bottom and getting professional help to see um, that life could be good and that I didn't have to live a double, double life and put a mask on and pretend. I could openly share that I was struggling And the more that I openly shared that I was struggling, the more that people came out of the woodwork, people that I would have in a a million years thought, thought dealt with depression started to reach out to me. And, like, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for putting your face out there and saying this is what PTSD looks like. This is what depression looks like. This is what anxiety looks like. This is what suicidal ideation looks like. It looks like me. You know, and I I actually made a video, I think it was last year, um, and that's what the video is. It's showing all of these these pictures of me doing these amazing things that everybody has told me I'm their inspiration because of, and throughout the video, it says, have you ever wondered what PTSD, anxiety, and depression look like? And then it shows pictures of me, and it says, this is what it looks like. Hmm. Don't mistake the pretty smile and think that I haven't fought to stay alive and right. live this life because I have, I fight every day and it's okay. If you're fighting too, you're not alone. I'm here and I'll hold space for you. And I, I knew that I couldn't do that without having, um, some sort of certifications and, and, um, under my belt because people look for those things. And I, and I wanted, I wanted wholeheartedly to be able to, help people to the best of my ability but in a safe way and there's a lot of people out out there right now that call themselves life coaches and they've probably never taken a life coaching course in their life right and that's dangerous especially if you're working with people who have lived through trauma you can unintentionally say the wrong thing (laughs) and um, they could end up not alive right So that is why um, I knew how important it was because I had other people throughout my journey that when I struggled would try their best, you know, my friends and my family would try their best to try to make me see that, that, um, life was only as good as I was going to choose to make it. Um, but sometimes they would unintentionally say the wrong thing. Um, you know, suck it up. You've already conquered so much. This is nothing. Yeah. rather than holding that space and going, I see you, I hear you, and although I don't fully understand, I'm here. Um, And when somebody's in that space, that's really what they need. Um, So I thought it was really important to get my certifications, especially my trauma-informed certification, and that allows me to work with people who are trauma survivors and who may have mental illnesses and be able to know how to properly talk them off the ledge so to speak um and not re-traumatize them again unintentionally because nobody ever wants to traumatize anybody right um but uh that's that's what prompted me to do that
1: that's awesome and i i mean i just think you know that everything that you've gone through like reading your bio and hearing your story from your mouth is just two totally different things you know yeah you know um, because reading your bio, it, it, it almost kind of sounded like, you know, when you come out of your com your, your coma, it was like, you knew that this happened yeah. for a reason and you had a, a new path that you had to conquer, but you just explained to us that that wasn't the case. And there's, you know, a ton of struggles that went through there and, and a I, lot of it was, is, now,
0: the one thing though, let me stop you real quick. The okay. one thing that, that is, is that from the beginning, I have had a mindset that I can do this. Right. Now, I, I didn't know what it would entail and that it would look like it looked. Never in a million years would I have ever expected it to look like it looked. Um, but I also never in a million years ever thought that I would have a mental illness such as complex PTSD right. to work against me. Um, and had, had there been the right resources readily available, and this is where the healthcare system is very broken because I had Medicaid and I, initially that was all I had was Medicaid. So I had like the lowest of the low when it came to insurance, they never offered me counseling or therapy or anything to address the mental health aspect of this. And that's what I'm hoping to change and bring awareness to when it comes to disability. Um, there's a lot more that goes into acquiring a catastrophic injury like I did, I'm sure. um, than just physical therapy and, um, occupational therapy and learning right. how to do the regular activities of daily living and take care of myself. Um, there's a lot more that goes along with it that nobody sees and that needs to be addressed early on. I can tell you that it's gotten better since 20 years ago. Um, and I only know that because I mentor people who are newly injured, um, but we still have a really long way to go, right. which is where I'm trying to be part of that voice um, to get that changed.
1: Yeah, because I always, you know, imagine, you know, and it, and it's, it's hard to imagine. I mean, you know, if something like this happened to me, would I be able to, you know, have a positive outlook. I don't think I could. You know, it it would be it would be tough and it would be a struggle for me because I, I I'm the type of person where if it takes me tw- twice as long to do the job or if it's harder for me to do the job by myself, but I know I can do it. I'll do it alone. Besides asking for help, and I know that that's not a that's not a good mentality to have. You know when you have like a a disability that you that you need help with and that would and for me personally I would need I think that I would need like a mindset coach to help me work through that because and 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 you just talking about what you've been through and it took you know a coach for you or somebody for you to talk to, to help you get through that.
0: You know, it really took, I, I don't know how you believe. Um, I am very, um, I'm not religious, but I'm very, very spiritual. Right. And I wholeheartedly believe that our higher power is it literally put the right people in my path at the right time along the last 20 years.
1: That's awesome. Um,
0: whether it was my mentors, um, uh, my coach, my therapist, um, my friends, all the right people have showed up at the right time and there's there's nothing else that I can contribute that to but a higher power. Um and lots and last and lots of prayers, lots of prayers, and not just my own prayers, but I know my family has prayed and prayed and prayed. <laughs> um the people that love me. Uh but uh, yeah, I, I it, it it was a long journey. And my hope is, um, so part of, I I told you that why I'm climbing Mount Kilimanjaro is my long-term vision is to have a 501c3 or even us be able to, and we're continually working with More Hearts and Scars to grow it to be this. And that might end up being part of my path is it just me not having my own, but continuing to do what I do for More Hearts and Scars, but growing it into, we already have grown a community around it that going to a place where we have the resources, maybe that is a hotline that is specifically just for people who have disabilities right. um, to call um, where there's somebody on the other line who is trained to talk to them and talk them off that ledge when they need somebody the most to hold space for them um, and then take it even further and direct them and get them connected with the right resources to whatever battle it is they're facing because the resources are there. Um, they're we're just not told what they are or how to find them. And sometimes you have to jump through a million and one hoops to even get to them. So um my goal is, my my vision, my big vision is, um, the legacy that I wanna leave is to have that resource there for my community and for other people that are gonna come after me. Um and hopefully somebody else will take it over when I'm gone and grow it even bigger to where we don't have as many numbers as we do currently with people committing suicide with disabilities. Um, you know, the sad part about the disabled community is that there are very vague statistics even around it. And it I do believe is because more often than not, um, people are, there's a, a negative stigma family wise when it comes to suicide. And there's not enough people out there right now that are willing to share their family members' stories who have committed suicide because there's shame and guilt attached to it for them. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I want, I want to normalize this conversation and so that people see that it's, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to reach out. It's okay to say, I'm hurting and I need somebody.
1: Yeah, and um, I think a lot of people are scared to do that.
0: Yes. Yes. And a lot of that is because of that, that the many negative stigmas that are attached to mental health. Right. And, um, it sucks. That needs to be changed. And like I said, I, we've come a long way, um, in our country and, and just it's around suicide and mental health, um, in general, but there's also these little tiny sub communities. Um, you know, I know another one that I'm starting to learn is, is the African American community. Um, there's, there's a lot of cultural, um, um, and negative stigmas that are attached. And so people aren't reaching out. They're not saying anything instead. They're just killing themselves because they're afraid to say, I need help because they could be shunned culturally and like, oh, you're crazy. Oh, you shouldn't be telling people your family business. You shouldn't be talking about everybody's business. Hmm. You know, I've, I've seen that happen a lot. Um, we need to change that.
1: Yeah, I agree. And there's with you. not a
0: one-size-fits-all answer.
1: Yeah, I agree with you.
0: <clears throat>
1: so, Erica, you told us that your first Spartan race was a Super, that you did in Charlotte. Was it Charlotte or Asheville you did? It was, Char-
0: it was Charlotte, it was Charlotte. Yep.
1: And it was a six-mile race, and you, you didn't think you were going to be able to finish. But here a couple of months ago, um, you did the Fayetteville Ultra. Tell us how that I went.
0: did. <laughs> Oh, the ultra, the ultra, the ultra was brutal. (laughs) And I have to say, there is no way possible that I could have ever accomplished that goal without my team. And I had a very small team um, because we had to divide and conquer. We had a couple other adaptive athletes out that same weekend doing the beast and the super and the sprint. So um, I had my main people. Um, which was um, Joey McLamory and Jonathan Hardis. I remember seeing y'all out there. Amanda Kelly, the Sober Spartan. Right. Um, my soul sister. Uh,
1: <laughs> but
0: they they were my team, and, and literally me and, and the three of them, uh, we, we made it happen. Um, and I think it's also important to talk about how different it is for an adaptive athlete to do an OCR race. There are so many other obstacles for us. And it's more so the mental obstacles, the things that I was talking about before—having to pee, getting hurt, um, not being able to regulate our body temperature for too hot or too cold because of spinal cord injury. Right. There's all kinds of things that go along with it. Um, and I can tell you that we <laughs> we finished the ultra, and um, it was 12 hours and 38 minutes later. <sighs> we had um, two flat tires. It was a torrential downpour for like an hour where I, uh, my body temperature dropped pretty significantly. And I was at one point saying like, I don't know that I can do this, Joey. And Joey's like talking me back up. You can do this. We can do this.
1: And you know, it Um, was, even though it was a bad rainstorm, the weather was pretty warm too. So that's kind of scary that you were getting that cold, even though it was so hot.
0: Well, as soon as it stopped raining, it got extra hot and humid.
1: Yeah, it did.
0: So, um, and before it rained, it was extra hot and humid. So when it first started raining, I'm like, okay, this is all right, until it torrential downpoured. Mm. And then, so so with having a spinal cord injury, um, our bodies don't regulate temperature, meaning if we get too cold, we can't warm ourselves back up. And if we get too hot, we can't cool ourselves back down. So somebody with a spinal cord injury typically does not sweat below where their injury level is. So my injury was about where my bra strap is. That's where my spine broke. Wow. So anywhere below that, I don't sweat. Oh, wow. So we always have to have extra things out on course with us to be able to cool down if I'm too cold or to be able to keep me dry and warm. If, or I'm sorry if I'm too hot to cool down or if I get too cold that I can warm up quickly. Um, and we've learned through trial and error because, again, disability even is just like mental health. It's not one size fits all with disability either. And each of us athletes are different. Um, each of us have different injuries and we also each have different disabilities. Um, uh, right now, um, all of the athletes that are adaptive athletes that are running with more hearts and scars are spinal cord injuries. Um, but that's not always the case. We have had, um, other disabilities that we have helped. Um, which is, I think, is pretty phenomenal. <laughs> mm. And we're kind of acceptance of everybody, right. anybody, and everybody. Um, but yeah, the ultra Fayetteville ultra. So the reason that I even signed up to do that is because at that point, that was the closest thing that I was getting to some of the things that we're going to face um, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. And the biggest thing was being in the chair for a long for period a long
1: time. of time. Yeah, I think I remember seeing Joey um joey and uh oh the other guy name i can't remember his name but they were running to the festival area with the with the flat tire the second one and he's yeah
0: yeah, jonathan 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 Jonathan. and uh
1: he was telling me (laughs) he looked like he was kind of aggravated because he said yeah it's the second one and i'm like man that sucks because then he had to run all the way back to the festival area and then run all the way back to you so
0: correct they had to run an extra two and a half miles there and back, which was the equivalent of five extra miles. Right. Just to change my... So they had to leave Amanda and I in the woods with no chair. Um, we had to sit on the ground, <laughs> which that's, a, that's actually not a good thing for me um, because that could cause me to get pressure sores from sitting on something that's like a hard surface right. for too long. Um, So a lot of the time um, I was kind of laying on my side in the middle of the woods, (laughs) Um, you know, waiting for them to come back. But, yeah, there's a whole bunch of other challenges that come with um, running as an adaptive athlete or even as a volunteer helping an adaptive athlete. Right. And so, you know, at times when you see us out on course, you'll see us skip obstacles. There's actually a reason why we skipped obstacles and we're not doing burpees. (laughs) <laughs> um, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different. And we actually have, um, not only Joe to blessing, um, but even one of the head of OCR, um, that, uh, um, give us their blessing. And Joe DeSina himself, like I said, has ran a Spartan, his own race with his legs duct taped in my wheelchair. Um, and he found out really quickly that it was not going to look the same for adaptives, which is part of why we run in the open heat Right. is because there are times where we have to cut out sections of the course because it is unsafe for the athlete or even more so it's unsafe for the volunteers that are helping with my chair.
1: Well, let me ask you this on the ultra loop. Did y'all go through that nasty swamp trench that was out there? <laughs>
0: So we did not. So, and what's crazy about that, that was after the second flat tire. Oh, wow. Um, And uh, when we came out of the woods after they got the tire fixed, when we came out of the woods and went to go on that loop, um, Spartan staff stopped us. And they looked at us and they were like, you do not want to take the wheelchair up there. Yeah. And so Joey looked at me, and this is, this is how More Hearts and Scars kind of works, is they always ask the athlete first. So Joey looked at me, and he said, what do you think? And I'm like, you know, at this point, I'm leaving this to you guys because you guys are the ones that are, are doing a lot of the work on these steep hills. I mean, those hills, oh, my gosh. And then after the rain... It was even worse.
1: Yeah,
0: (laughs) Like there was one, and you'll probably know exactly what I'm talking about, that I had to get out of the chair and go down it on my butt. Actually, Tom Manning was with me. He was like, I got you, Erica. He was right in front of me. (laughs) He was like, I had to scoot down on my butt. I love Tom so much. But I had to scoot down on my butt, and they had to go around and carry the chair down because it was not safe for them to keep me in the chair. It wasn't safe for them, and it wasn't safe for me. At that, that particular loop, so we're looking at each other. Now, mind you, at this point, we did not know that that was the ultra loop. We had no idea. We thought that was a little half mile, you run up the hill and come back down. Right. So Jonathan looked at us, and he was like, do you want me to run up there and see what it is, and then just come back down and meet you guys? And we're like, yeah, you might as well do that. He's like, all right, I'll run back up, I'll be right back. We sat there. And sat there and sat there and people are coming, they're talking to us and they're like, oh my God, like that was horrific. We are so glad you didn't take her up there in that chair. And we're like, oh God. And at that point we feel awful because like, what did we just send him to do? Like we just sent him to war by himself. (laughs) And um, he finally gets back down to us. And we're like, Oh my God, Jonathan, we're so sorry. We had, so by that point we figured out it was the loop. We finally got on our phones and we pulled them, we pulled up the math and we're like, Oh shit. We just sent him. And that was like a five mile loop. Yeah. So he ran it. He gets down and he's like, looks like he just came out of Vietnam. He gets <laughs> down and we're like all profusely apologizing. Like, had we known we would have went with you or we would have skipped it all together and he looked at us and he's like i am so glad we did not take her and that chair up there
1: yeah that that
0: would have been a complete shit show
1: yeah that so, trench was it was it was it was awful and like it was totally overgrown cuz you had right. to get in the trench get out of the trench get in the trench get out of the trench and that's there, what he said there was briars and spider webs everywhere i'm having flashbacks yeah
0: Yeah, so, and you don't want to talk about briars for me. What people don't know, because of my height when I'm sitting in a chair, if I'm not constantly paying attention, when the people on the sides of my chair go past, because they're usually a little ahead of me, I get slapped in the face with briars. You don't know how many times I've gotten cut and stuck with briars in my face. That's not fun (laughs) at all. Damn rhododendrons. but yeah, we, after that, Now i remind you also, Jonathan and Joey had already did an extra five miles changing tires. Right. So we felt awful. But Jonathan was like, come on, let's go. Let's just, let's get this done. Let's finish. So we finished it out. Um, and I, I, when we got to the end, when we got to the A-frame, we stopped and waited for my teammate, one leg beast, who was doing it also. Um, but we weren't doing it together because in Ultra, there was no way it wouldn't have been fair to him or me. Right. Um, because him and I had to go at different paces for, obvi- for obvious reasons. He's an above the knee amputee, he's walking on a prosthetic. And I, rem- I remember Ultra seeing him out there too. Because
1: he was pretty much by himself for a lot of it too, right?
0: He took off ahead of us, which he typically does. Um, but we had um people from our team that had a chair out on course for the first part of the um ultra for him. Just but when case. they got to transition, so somebody had talked some smack to him about not being able to finish it without a wheelchair. Oh no. <laughs> and so by the time he got to transition, he was like, Nah, F that. I don't need a wheelchair, I'm gonna prove them wrong. And so he, he finished it. He did the entire thing with one leg. That's awesome. And walking poles. He, this is why we call him One Leg Beast. And he will tell you if you ever meet him in person, his name is One Leg Beast. He will not tell you his, his government name. <laughs> um, and neither will I because he's my partner. <laughs> um, but uh, he, there's a reason why he, he goes by One Leg Beast. I, I don't know another human that could have did that course like he did.
1: Yeah. Like I, he did it. I remember seeing him out there and he had the more hearts and scars shirt on, but he was, he was not with the group and mm-hmm. he was by himself. And I, I told him when I, when I went past him, I was like, man, you're an inspiration to me seeing you out here like that. <laughs> you know, I, I told him that because I thought it was awesome. Amazing. Yeah. He it,
0: actually, for some of the obstacles, he carries me on his back.
1: Oh, wow. Um,
0: which is a whole nother element of craziness, but we do it to show people it can be done and that there are no limits. You know, his, his hashtag is how bad do you want it? And, um, for him, it helps him level up in his mental toughness and knowing that not only is he doing this with one leg, but he can carry his, his paraplegic friend with no legs on his back and conquer these obstacles.
1: Yeah. That's awesome.
0: times where he acts as my legs.
1: That's awesome. You know, and i and it's like I said, it's an inspiration to me to see y'all do this, because i I think of my own mindset, you know, and if if I was you know in your shoes, I always ask myself, would I have the mental fortitude to try this because yeah. i I don't know i I, I don't know that.
0: You know, had had somebody asked me before I got paralyzed, or I've seen, if, had I seen something like this before I got paralyzed, I would have been one of those people just like you probably going, uh, I don't think I could do that. There's no, hell no, there's mm. no way I would do that in a wheelchair. But you never know until it happens until to you. Until you do it. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You know, and, and, and virtually how I think that I kept myself alive, besides my children being the number one reason that I never actually went through with ever harming myself. Um, but the other part of it was knowing that the, my accomplishments every time I would hit a milestone and I would do something that somebody once told me I couldn't do anytime I would conquer it anyway, that was like my incentive to like, okay, I have to just keep swimming. I have to keep going because there's more that I'm going to conquer. Um, and, and I would have to remind myself that at times, like, look at what you've already accomplished. Like you can't give up now. And like, I'm do that little pep talk, like my mama didn't raise a quitter, my dad didn't raise a quitter. You know, mm. I've got to keep going. Um, those are all of the, the different things that kept me kept me going. So, so, thank God that More Hearts and Stars came into my life, and that Shannon reached out to me out of the blue and was like, "Hey, call this guy named Zach, go do this race."
1: <laughs> I, I, I can I can imagine you know it's it's changed your life, and you've probably made okay. friends that you probably wouldn't have otherwise because oh, yeah. OCR has done that family. for me. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Friends
0: that have a gun family. And, you know, there's something to be said about the OCR community. Um, it's a community unlike any other that I've ever been a part of. You're um, I, I, One Leg and I have actually, One Leg Beast and I have been out on course by ourselves during a couple races. Um, just him and I, him helping me with the chair and walking himself and me pushing myself and, um, you know, strangers come up and like, hey, can we help? You know, and he's like, yes, please help. You know, <laughs> um, I have actually several videos that I've shared where we, we went out on our own and decided to be rebels and like, we don't need these able-bodied people. We're going to uh, go out and we're going to do this. And, and it turned out we still needed able-bodied people uh, um, uh, awesome. specifically for the chair. I can't speak for one leg because, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes for him, it's just a matter of knowing somebody's there with him. Um, you know, that he's not out there alone. Mm. Um, but for me, I literally physically could not do it without somebody else. Uh. And it's always super important for me to tell that to people because everybody's always like, oh my gosh, Erica, you're a beast. You're amazing. You're this or that. And I'm always like, I couldn't do this without my team. These are the people that need the pats on the back. They're the ones that are making it possible for me to conquer every goal I set for myself physically out on the race course. it's they're the ones that are the heroes, those are my heroes, the people I'm like getting emotional, but the people that surround me on that race course are my heroes. Hmm.
1: Yeah. It's, it's awesome. And if, if, if you've never volunteered to help with more hearts and scars, I suggest you do it at least one time because you'll get something out of a race. You've never gotten out of a race before without a doubt. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Erica, what advice would you give to an adaptive athlete that, that doesn't think that that they can do an OCR race with more heart and scars? Uh, I, I
0: see that. Can you, can you say that one more time, Scott?
1: Yeah, we, we kind of broke up a little bit there. So, yeah, I What advice would you give to an adaptive athlete that doesn't think that they could do an OCR race with more heart than
0: scars? (laughs) The sky's the limit. And if you think you can't, then you're right. But if you think you can, you're also right. Um, You know, we never, ever accomplish anything worthwhile when we stay inside of our comfort zone. But everything that we've ever wanted and to believe in herself is, is on the other side of that fear. Right. Right. So once you step out of that comfort zone and do something, um, that you think you can't and you accomplish it with the people around you, um, yeah, it's a, it's a huge confidence builder. It's what gives you your wings. Okay try it. Don't knock it till you
1: try it. Right. <laughs> Erica, I told you we was only going to go an hour, but I always have a couple of questions that I ask everybody that comes on the show. Uh-huh. So to this day, out of all the races that you've done, what has been your most favorite race and why? Oh,
0: gosh. Black Mountain. <laughs> um, Black Mountain 2019, actually. My favorite race ever, my favorite course ever. Um, and um, the reason why is, well, number one, it's got one of, some of the mo- one of the most indescribable views ever when you get to the top of the rock quarry. Yeah, it is cool. Um, and that was actually, um, in that moment when we hit that part, um, Zach actually was out with us. Zach Paven was with us. And Zach made everybody stop and he took me out of the wheelchair and set me up on a fence so I could overlook into the valley. And that was like the highest I had ever seen outside of a vehicle, like being in a car
1: Because oh, wow. I've been
0: paralyzed. And so it was a really, really amazing moment. Um, but that course was so brutal. Yes, it was. <laughs> so brutal, um, but yet beautiful. That's why
1: it was my favorite. Okay, so now I want the opposite of that question. What's the, the race <laughs> that was the worst for you, you hated the most, and why? Huh.
0: Try on (laughs) 2019.
1: Oh, I know why. (laughs) The Beast.
0: Oh, I actually, that's the only race that I have dnf i I don't even know how many miles in we were, but I just randomly (laughs) looked up at Joey and was like, I'm done. And he was like, what do you mean you're done? And I was like, I'm done. He's like, put the race. And I was like, yeah, pretty much. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. And he was like, oh, my God, thank you for saying you're done. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there was a few, a handful of people. Now, Zach still stayed out um, on course with some of the team and some of the we had some autistic boys from Black Mountain Academy out with us for that race. So Zach and Wendy stayed out in course with the boys and uh, they um, finished um, the race. But uh, the people that went home and got warm with me were all hugging me and uh, telling me thank you for fin- for not finishing. <laughs> that was miserable, horrible, brutal, and I got hypothermic.
1: That was the rainiest, muddiest race I ever did, and I did the ultra that year. <laughs>
0: I PTSD leveled up that year. (laughs) So actually we were just talking about the Fayetteville Ultra and part of what triggered me when it started raining and I started getting cold was I automatically felt like we were back in try on. And I, my, I was, I was highly triggered to where I'm saying, Joey's going, you can do this. You can do this. And I was repeating him going, I can do this. We can do this. The rain is going to stop. I'm going to get warm. I'm not going to DNF. I'm going to do this.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because that one difference was is Fayetteville was, you know, almost in the summer. It was a lot warmer in Fayetteville for sure. Yes, so.
0: that was November. Remember November? Yeah, and November in no Spartanburg. about the Carolinas. Well, you're in Georgia, aren't you? Yes,
1: yeah, South Georgia. So it's
0: similar to us here in the Carolinas. You never know what, to, right. what you're going to get in November.
1: That's right. It was cold and try on uh, last year, too.
0: You know I have not been back to try on since then because I, like, now I'm like, I hate that course. I will never <laughs> go back. I will, I'm so jaded. I will never go back. And Garfield Griffiths will never live it down because he said, oh, it's just rolling hills.
1: Yeah. There's some yes. good hills out there.
0: Yes. Yes, yes, that, yes,
1: yes. It was freezing cold this past year. That was the coldest race I've ever done this past year, but... It is a beautiful course and it's, it's, it's just good weather away from being an awesome course. It's always, yeah. but I do like that venue. It is a fun venue. Okay. Is it a venue? Yes. Mm-hmm. So it is really pretty. Another question I have is, is I always ask athletes how they prepare for a race, like what's their routine that they go through like the Friday night before the race? What do you do the morning before the race? What is your routine to get ready for a race?
0: So the day before the race, I am typically driving to wherever we're supposed to be, um, unless it's in Charlotte and <laughs> <Unless> that's <laughs> because I live in Charlotte, but any other one I have to drive ways. And um, so I'm usually road tripping with One of my teammates, um, we tried a carpool. Usually I always drive my car, though, because my car is the best one to road trip in. Right. Um, And I am hydrating, hydrating, hydrating. Um, The morning of the race, I'm usually the last one ready and the last one at the venue. And that's because I'm on what our team likes to call CPT, which stands for crippled people time, because I and you can laugh. um, I, um, I, I just take a lot longer to get ready. And really, it's because I do things my way. Um, But I'm I'm typically yeah getting ready, braiding my hair and um, trying to hydrate before the race. Um, I'm somebody that, and I don't know how I do this, but I don't eat before a race. Um, and typically the only thing I eat all day is race snacks, like jerky and energy chews. And, um, it's just the way that I'm, I'm able to get through it. I still am not sure how I do it, but it's just what my body's conditioned to do. Right. But then as soon as we're done, I'm eating everything in front of me.
1: Hmm. Okay. This is my last question. <clears throat> what is your favorite mindset advice to give to someone, or your favorite saying?
0: Oh, wow, that's a good one. Let's see. I'm great
1: with questions.
0: Yeah, give me a minute because there's a bunch.
1: It's gotta be your favorite, favorite one. You can't give me a bunch. Your favorite one. My
0: favorite one. <laughs> My favorite one would probably be, um, you know, life changes. But it's how you respond to those changes that determines your next chapter. We're all in control of one thing, and that's our response.
1: I like that. I like that. All right, Erica, I'm totally out of questions. Would you like to tell us, like, how people can reach out to you if they need some, you know, mindset coaching or life coaching or how they can find you on, like, Instagram or Facebook?
0: Absolutely. So I'm um, on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter. I'm on all of them. Um, my handle is just my name, Erica Bogan. and My name is spelled a little different. My first name is E-R-I-K-A and then last name B-O-G-A-N as a Nancy. Um, I also have a website that's all about, um, my coaching as well as uh, me as a motivator as a speaker um, and that website is just my name com. super easy to find me you can actually just google my name and um, pages and pages of 20 years will pop up
1: <laughs> cool well erica i really appreciate you uh taking the time to do this and uh this was a great episode for me i enjoyed it and you opened my eyes to a lot of things and i hope it does that for other people that listen to this as well um and if you don't have anything else we will see you at the next race i hope
0: Yes, absolutely. I'll actually, I'll be in, um, in Newberry in South Carolina our oh. Asheville-ish race.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the non-Asheville um, race. <laughs>
0: that's right. That's right. That'll actually be my last race before, uh, we fly out to Africa. Oh. So, um, I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity and for giving me this little platform to share a little bit of my story and, um, some more about more hearts and stars. And, uh, yeah, I just appreciate you a lot.
1: Oh, well, thank you, and I appreciate you coming on here and sharing your story with us.
0: Definitely.
1: All right, well, we'll see you in Newberry, Erica.
0: Awesome. I can't wait.
1: Hope you enjoyed the interview. I want to thank Erica again for taking time to talk to us. It meant a lot to me personally hearing her story, and I hope that a lot of people will listen to this and hear it as well. After talking to her, I also want to share with you the uh, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, you know, that number is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. 273 8255 If you're a veteran, press 1. Or 1-800-273-TALK. That's easy to remember. one eight hundred two seven three 273 talk But, uh, like I said, you know, if you didn't listen to the last episode and you're listening to this episode, um, it's almost a month ago. I got up in the middle of the night. You know, day leading up to this night was fine. Everything was normal. You know, I wasn't under eating or under or, or dehydrated or anything, but I got up in the middle of the night. Long story short, got up in the middle of the night and I just kind of fell down on the way to the bathroom. It was like two o'clock in the morning. And... uh I didn't think nothing to it. I was like, I just lost my balance, you know. I didn't totally just blank out. I just remember falling. And I got up, went to the bathroom, and just kind of felt like I had a cold chill on me. And uh, I was like, man, I hope I'm not getting sick. And it's probably not 30 feet from my bathroom to the bed. And I'm walking back to the bed. Next thing I know, it's lights out. There was no warning warning. I didn't feel like I was going to faint. I didn't feel like I was going to pass out. It was just lights out. And I, and I fell forward, and I didn't even know I was falling until I hit the bridge of my nose on uh, the nightstand, and I fractured it, got like almost total black eyes and everything. And uh, I went to the doctor, and on the last episode, I went to the doctor. Everything was fine. EKG was fine. My labs came back fine. And, uh, I went and had some, some, I went and saw another doctor of my friend and she wanted to call in an echocardiogram. So I had that done and here are the results from my echocardiogram and this is verbatim. It says left ventricle, the cavity size is mildly increased. Wall thickness is normal. Systolic function is normal. Uh, the estimated ejection fraction is 55 to 60%. Wall motion is normal. There are no regional wall motion abnormalities. Left ventricle or dystolic function parameters are normal for the patient's age. And my left atrium, the atrium is mildly dilated. So my, the doctor I saw for this... She thinks that this may be the problem. Why I just I just got up too fast, and uh, you know, just the blood hadn't circulated good when I just jumped out of bed to go to the bathroom, and I fell down. But I haven't had any other problems. But you know, you know, you everybody. I assume this. You know, sometimes you just get up real fast. You kind of get lightheadedness. You know, I mean, I I've had that, but nothing even similar or close to what happened that evening. So it's just really weird. And I actually have an appointment to see a cardiologist tomorrow, just to go a little bit deeper down this rabbit hole to see if he thinks there's anything further that I need to test or anything like that. So that's where I'm at with my problems. Um, So yeah, so I don't remember if we talked about Asheville moving to Newberry on the last episode. I don't think we did. No, I don't think we did. So it's been announced it's going to be on a farm. So I can only imagine it's going to be like Charlotte because it's going to be in a flatter area and it's the Johnson family farm. And if I look this up, right, it only looked like that farm had like 200 acres, but there's conjoining properties that maybe they, I don't, I I looked in local records and it showed just that one deed. They might own the other property around it too, but hopefully it'll be a good course where they can uh, spread out a good super and have some good technical running sections on it. I don't look for it to be, um, to have a lot of elevation there at all. I wouldn't think there would be, but uh, hopefully it'll be a cool race. Um, I'm looking forward to it. The area looks really cool. Um, If you're staying in Newberry, I think the venue is only like, shoot, less than 10 minutes away. I know there was a Holiday Inn that was kind of close by, but not directly in Newberry. I know we got an Airbnb and there was not a lot of them. As soon as we saw what town it was in, we went ahead and booked. Um, It looks like there's some cool restaurants around there. But anyway, I hope it'll be a cool race. I'm all for new venues. I don't care if it's flat or mountainous. You know, something new is something new. So I'm going to make the best out of this either way. Uh, Palmerton's in a couple of weeks, less than a couple of weeks. I'll be there. If you see me there, come up to me and say what's up. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, we'll see you the next race. Peace out.